welcome in everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Dynasty Underground. I am your host Derek Womack, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dino Underground. That's at D Y N O Underground. And we've got an awesome show today. We've got John Bauer from the Dynasty Theory Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at the Bauer Club. I'm not gonna do a super long intro because <laughs> kind of becoming a theme of the show now my interviews are becoming pretty long and I'm trying to get them down a little bit but you know whenever whenever these things when the juices start flowing as they say it's kind of hard to stop so without further ado let's go ahead and bring in John Bauer from the Dynasty Theory Podcast <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have another guest for you today. You know him from the Dynasty Theory podcast. You know him from Twitter, at the Bauer Club. It's Mr. John Bauer. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, before we get into the, you know, the meat of the show, the meat and potatoes of the show, I know you're in the Scott Fish Bowl this year, Scott, you know, SFBX. And I wanted to ask, you know, what, you know, where, where were you draft? What spot were you drafting from? Um, what was your kind of early round strategy and how do you feel about your team up to this point if you're not done already? So we did wrap up and I drafted out of the four spot. Ideally, I was hoping that Barkley slipped to me at four because, you know, the, the quarterback scoring, I thought Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, they'd be taking the first three picks. Well, I took Lamar Jackson at 104 because Barkley, McCaffrey, and Mahomes all went before me. Mm-hmm. And looking back at it, I might have switched it up and I might have taken Zeke if I could do it again, just because, you know, we look at the scoring and especially for the wide receivers, it's fairly flat. You get the 0.5 PPR yeah. uh, for uh, receivers and then the 0.5 points for a first down and same for the running backs. And then they include that tight end premium, the extra half point for first downs and reception. So for me, last year when I was in it, I targeted tight end early. So I went George Kittle and I didn't want to go that direction again. So I waited on tight end a bit and I still got Tyler Higby and Hunter Henry. So I was pretty happy with that. And then my mm-hmm. running backs, I, I uh, Kenyon Drake, Aaron Jones, Le'Veon Bell, and then just some depth pieces. So Ideally, I would have had another running back there, and that's probably why, looking back at it, I would have gone Zeke. But then for receivers, and this is Scott Fishbowl, Dynasty Leagues, which we're going to talk about tonight, the way the league is looking right now, I just feel like there's so much depth. And once you get past those first few receivers, the scoring for me, it seems pretty flat. So I kind of went for, you know, I, I got Tyler Boyd, Brandon Cooks, Marvin Jones, Calvin Ridley. Shepard, Mike Williams, Preston Williams. So I have guys there that provide a solid floor, and I think they're going to be some, you know, solid PPR guys. But then last year, like I mentioned, in addition to taking George Kittle early, I felt like I played it safe. And this year I said, I don't care if I come in dead last <laughs> or, you know, it, it, it's the uh, the Ricky Bobby motto. If you're not first, you're oh, yeah. so <laughs> you're I, first, you're last. I went for a lot of high upside receivers, you know, like I said, Preston Williams, Mike Williams, Calvin Ridley. I think he's going to have a huge season. Brandon cooks. If he's healthy, I think he could be Deshaun Watson's go-to guy. So 
The only other thing that I would have changed, I would have liked to have taken another quarterback a little bit earlier. So instead of taking Lamar in the first and then waiting the way I did, I wish I would have kind of wedged them closer together. So my quarterbacks, they're Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins, and then I picked up Ryan Fitzpatrick really late. So I have some guys, you know, I, I think some streaming options there in my super flex spot. But with that yeah. scoring and the way those negative points could really rack up, you know, we look at that game last year with Sam Darnold against the Patriots, and he was like negative 30 in the scoring format. <laughs> so so you look at that and you're like, ah, man, I don't feel great about always having yeah. one of these guys in my super flex spot. So there might be weeks that I have a, a wide receiver or one of my running backs in there, depending on the week. But yeah, I, I like my team, but you know, not just in fantasy in general, but Scott Fishbowl, there's 1,440 teams involved in this main event. You have to get lucky mm-hmm. and you have to have yeah. upside guys. And that's what I went for. But when it comes down to it, and we talked about this off the air, it's all, you know, it's all about fun. It's all about charity. So I, I'm just really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, and and so like I said, I, I got into the satellite tournament, which is best ball, and yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Just you know, I got into so I was drafting from the nine spot, and so I got into the you know the the one hundred nine DM on Twitter with everybody, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's just it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun because my draft is wild. Like I'm normally the guy that leans pretty heavily on running backs in the early rounds and drafts. But like, so this, and I think, I think the nine spot was perfect for me in the way I knew for this scoring, because whenever I read the quarterback scoring, the, the first quarterback that popped in my head was Drew Brees. Yep. Just, you know, just because of the minus a full point for an incomplete pass and a half point for completion, I believe. And then obviously with the, it's like a double tight end premium, you know, for the reception and the first down. So I was able to start with um, uh, George Kittle in the first and then Drew Brees in the second. And one thing I, uh, the reason I, so I didn't pick a running back until round three. I went Gurley at three, Le'Veon Bell at four. And one thing I like about the scoring is I feel like it flattens out the running backs a little bit. I think it's, you know, it's going to be a little less, a little less, little less volatile to me, you know, a little less touchdown dependent, I guess I should say, you know, with, with the half point for first down, you know, it's, I feel like the gap between someone like a Christian McCaffrey and a Le'Veon Bell, I mean, it's still going to be, should still be pretty wide, but, you know, McCaffrey scored, what was it? 20 touchdowns or something last year. But yeah, and, and, and you mentioned that extra 0.5 for first downs and how that flattens it out a little bit. And it really does give a slight advantage in comparison to typical PPR 0.5 PPR leagues where these, these grinders and these guys that are going to rack up 200 carries and they might not be exactly effective and efficient and have the t- high touchdown upside but they are guys that are going to get you those points slowly, but surely by getting those first downs and really grinding it out. So it definitely, like you said, it flattens it out. I think it gives you a few more viable options there a little bit later. Yeah. And that's why like with for 2020 getting, um, I I think I went, so I have four running backs on my team right now. I have Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, and then I went 
J.K. Dobbins a little bit, or I went David Johnson and then J.K. Dobbins. And some of those guys, they worry me a little bit, but I mean, I feel like with Gurley, Bell, and David Johnson, they should be on the field a ton. They should be getting a ton of reps. And whether they score touched a bunch of touchdowns remains to be seen. But that that um, field would be great in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, they, um, they, they, they're guys that still offer tremendous upside, and that's what you have to do. Like I said last year, I, I was like, okay, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to come in last place or close to it, and I finished middle of the mm-hmm. pack. And it's the same end result. You, you know, as I said, it's for fun and charity, but you still want to win. And yeah. there's so many eyes on this that you want to represent yourself well. So for this year, I just said, forget it. I'm going upside with a lot of my guys. It's going to be very volatile week to week, but you have to get lucky in a league like this. Yeah. And so, so the reason, so I'm fine. You know, I, I realize the risk, you know, with Gurley and Johnson and bell, but for me, I, you know, I, I feel like I had to make a decision, you know, at one Oh nine, you know, the elite running backs are off the board. You know, even Dalvin Cook with the threat of the holdout, he went, I think, at 107. So, yeah, I, I had to make a decision of where I thought the advantage would be. And I felt like the drop-off between, you know, like a Josh Jacobs and a Todd Gurley was less than a drop-off between George Kittle and like an Evan Ingram. So that's that's why I decided to go tight end early and kind of, kind of wait a little bit on running back but i'm glad i have you on the air because i'm actually on the clock right now with the 1204 and i want you to talk me out of selecting um tevin coleman as my rb5 oh boy who are the other options there like let's look at some of the top receivers so yeah and i have you mentioned brandon cooks earlier i've been i've been hyping up brandon cooks like nobody's business all off season on this show. So um, I, I did a bold predictions episode. So I wanted you to talk me out of selecting Tevin Coleman. Yeah. And, and what's my, the, what's, as, what's the, what does the rest of your roster look like? So I have Drew Brees and Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. I have, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, J.K. Dobbins at wide receiver or at running back. And I have um, I have D.K. Metcalf, Brandon Cooks, and who who is my who's my third wide receiver now? <laughs> uh, let's see. Sorry, let me let me find my roster here. Yeah, so I have Brandon Cooks, DK Metcalf, and Henry Ruggs as my three wide receivers. And so, yeah, keep in mind the satellite is is best ball. So normally I wouldn't be super excited about Henry Ruggs as my wide receiver three, but you know there's still a lot of wide receivers on the board that I like, especially in a, in a best ball format. Yeah, with it being best ball and with you having, you know, you have the three, I would say, stronger running backs than you have J.K. Dobbins, who I think will start to take control as the season progresses, who could give you a nice little boost there towards the end of the season. But with it being best ball, I might look for a more, uh, you know, high upside receiver. Is there a player like 
Uh, Mike Williams, is, is he available? So Mike, Mike Williams is available. Um, let's see, we're looking at Judy, Justin Jefferson, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins. Most, most of the rookies except for CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Rager, and um, Henry Ruggs. Yeah, for the most part, especially with with that being best ball, you know, in in ours where we're setting the lineups, I for the most part avoided. Actually, I completely avoided rookies. I just wasn't paying for any of them at their ADP. With it being a redraft yeah. league, not really sure exactly how the season's going to play out. Heck, I hope we get a season, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I I would probably pass on those rookies if I were to take one of them. Justin Jefferson's probably the one that really stands out to me. Yeah. So I went, I went Henry Ruggs, not because he's my favorite rookie wide receiver by any means. He's I'm actually, I think pretty much pretty lower on consensus uh, than on Henry Ruggs, you know, but lower than consensus on Henry Ruggs, but with it being a best ball format and, you know, I've, I've talked about it on this show a couple of times thinking, you know, you know, the Raiders are in, are in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs. They see Tyreek Hill getting the ball in different ways. And so I was like, you know, if, you know, there's not really a, there's not an incumbent wide receiver one on that roster, on the Raiders roster. And there's a, I mean, there's a chance that they want to use Henry Ruggs in a similar way that the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill and not just as a situational deep threat pretty much, you know, so yeah, I, so that, I think with I think with Ruggs with his after catch ability, I I just talked about this on a show the other day, and I think he he gets misrepresented as that deep ball threat, and that's not really the player that he is. And I know a lot of people they want to compare him to you know like a Deshaun Jackson type player, and that's not him. Mm-hmm. So with, with that Raiders offense, there's so many different moving pieces that we don't we don't really know what to expect here in 2020. But there's Rugs could, I think he's a decent best ball player. I know that's kind of a cop out, but I, I do yeah. think I don't mind him in best ball. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was my, that was kind of my way of swinging for the fences too, is uh, basically my plan in this draft was as soon as one or two rookies go rookie wide receivers go off the board. That's when I'll select Henry Ruggs pretty much no matter where it's at, because I wanted that player on my team just in case, you know, if they, they decide to give him, you know, jet sweeps or bubble screens and stuff like that. Try to let him create, you know, after the catch. Um, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted that upside, you know, and he could, he could lead the team in targets. You know, he, he was the first wide receiver off the board. They don't really have any established target hog wide receivers. They basically, you know, they've got Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and, you know, Hunter Renfro, but, you know, Renfro, you know, we'll see about Renfro. I know he flashed last year, and Jacobs. I don't know why they weren't throwing the ball to Jacobs last year. I assume and, they will throw it to him this year, but I actually I don't think we see any uptick there in receiving production from him based on the weapons they've brought in. And I, again, I I brought this up on another show, but uh, you know, Josh Jacobs. They said early in the off season they wanted to get him more involved in the passing game, and that's fine to say. But then everything they've done since then, they gave Jalen Richard the two-year contract extension. They bring in Lynn Bowden. They get Henry Ruggs, uh, Brian Edwards. You know, So they bring in these players, and you still have 
you know, Tyrell Williams is coming back. You have Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. And I just don't know how much room there is for Josh Jacobs to really be utilized in the passing game. And for me, I actually, I'm expecting a decrease here in targets for him from 2019 to 2020. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. So, and as far as wide receivers go, we still have, I still have, you know, Miko Hardman, Jamison Crowder, Mike Williams, uh, Sterling Shepard, John Brown, uh, Preston Williams, Anthony Miller, who I've talked about a little, I, I kind of like Anthony Miller this year. Um, Curtis so Samuel, of, Robbie Anderson. Out of all of the guys you've mentioned, and this is probably the least sexy of all the players, I love Jamison Crowder here in 2020. <laughs> I, the, yeah, the, he's, he's got the opportunity. And it's funny because oftentimes we look at these slot receivers and Jamison Crowder included, and we think, okay, they're just safe options. They provide a decent floor. But last year he was really boomer bust. And in this format, I think he could be a really intriguing play. But I, I think he he is gonna be Sam Darnold's safety blanket and you know the safety valve there coming out of the slot. And they created a nice little rapport there. And when you look at the rest of that receiving core, you have Denzel Mims, but again, this shortened offseason and everything that's going on, I, I think Jamison Crowder, I I mix, you know, I think he could be flirting right there with back end wide receiver to production and have a few of those boom weeks. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. But let me let me make my case because (laughs) (laughs) okay, and don't don't get me wrong, I don't love Tevin Coleman. I'm not, you know, right. I'm not even even last season, you know, like I said with Henry Ruggs, you know, I was basically Last season in my redraft leagues, I was waiting for Tevin Coleman to go off the board, and then I would select Matt Breida a little bit later. It didn't really work out because Breida wasn't very usable for fantasy, but that's just my long way of saying that I'm not necessarily a Tevin Coleman guy. But, you know, we've, and if, if the trade, you know, the trade request from Raheem Mostert wasn't looming, Coleman wouldn't even cross my mind. But this is essentially, me trying to swing for the fences again, just in case they do trade Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, you know, becomes the, you know, I don't know that he'll be necessarily a workhorse or a bell cow, but he'll, you know, he should get more work than he will with Raheem Mostert there. My only issue is I I don't see anybody trading for Raheem Mostert last year was, uh, well, not last year was deal, but you know, what is he, 27, 28 years old? He's been cut from several teams already. I can't see anybody trading anything of value. And I I, I would be very surprised. I know, especially this offseason, we're all trying to find any story to talk about. And I kind of feel like that's the situation here. And I would be shocked if Raheem Mostert is not a 49er. I, I would stay away from Tevin Coleman here, but... Yeah, it's all about whoever scores the touchdowns in that offense. I really believe that. And there are going to be weeks where Tevin Coleman might find the end zone twice, but then yeah, you're. And it is, yeah, and it is best ball. So I don't, I don't have to make a conscious decision to put him in my lineup either. Uh, how many, even though it is best ball, how many spots are allocated to wide receivers? Is At least three. three. I think, I think it's the same. It's the same roster set up and everything. It's just best ball. Yeah. If I, I correctly. I would still go with, I I would personally go with a receiving option here. I just, you know, we talked about 
while the running backs and receivers, they're going to have 0.54 first downs. How many first downs is Tevin Coleman really going to see in this offense when it's a crowded backfield and we don't really know what we're going to see week to week. So I just, I would stay away from him personally, but if that's your guy, I always say, get your guy. So let, let me, let me make one more case for you because basically I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I know it sounds like I'm trying to talk you into it. So we've all been there though. We've all been in this situation. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody, so everybody that will be drafting between me and my next pick has less running backs and more wide receivers than me. So I assume there will be more running backs than wide receivers come off the board. Yeah, but again, with it being best ball, I I might be looking to attack receivers and get that high upside. And I, I think Tevin Coleman has that high upside. I just, and I know you don't have to make the decision to put him in your lineup on a weekly basis. I just don't know how many usable weeks you're going to get barring a Raheem Mostert trade. That's all. Yeah. Well, so um, do you mind me asking what, what round did you select um, Mike Williams in? Cause I don't, I, I've, I've, that's why I, I brought him up because I took him in the 12th. Okay. Um, I was hoping you were going to say like the 14th or something. No, I took him at 1209. <laughs> and then before me, it was Carlos Hyde, Anthony Miller, Duke Johnson, Jalen Rager, Emmanuel Sanders, Jack Doyle. Oh, wow. uh, and then Tevin Coleman actually went 1201. So he did go prior to. So what you're saying is Tevin Coleman at 1204 is a value then, and I should just select him. I mean, if you want to, if you want to <laughs> twist my words here, Derek, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I would just be very hesitant, especially again in that format. I might be looking at receiver, and I know Raheem Mostert. He really only popped there. You know, Tevin Coleman. He was a little banged up last year, but we've kind of seen that several years in his career. And you know, I just, it's a backfield that I'm just looking to avoid for the most part, even in best ball formats. Yeah, and okay, so let, let me read you some other running backs. Let me ask you this: Where did Alexander Madison go in your draft? If you, it, I mean, if you if you don't remember, that's fine. But um, he's still on the board here in the twelve. He went eleven oh seven, and actually, if I'm deciding between the two, I'm gonna go Alexander Madison just because if Dalvin Cook were to hold out this season, or we've seen him get injured in the past, let's see, he has another injury and I hope not because I have several shares of him, but I, I think Alexander Madison. Now, if you're looking for high upside at that point in the draft, that could be one of those guys. That's a potential league winner in 2020 based on where you're getting him. And it's kind of what we were looking at with Tony Pollard last year, right? You know, if you were in a draft, whenever Zeke was potentially going to, well, he, he was holding out for a moment and then they, gave him all that money, but Tony Pollard was kind of in that same situation, tremendous upside, but obviously a really low floor. So if I'm deciding between Alexander Madison and Tevin Coleman in the 12th round, I would take Madison. Just again, there's so many teams involved go for glory. Yeah. So, so what do you think is more, more likely an Alexander or a Dalvin Cook holdout or a Raheem Mostert trade? Dalvin Cook holdout, and I, I'm not even saying that's it's very probable, but I yeah. think it's more likely than a Raheem Mostert trade. You know, you look at 
the running back landscape and the way these teams are treating them in terms of their their second contracts. And Dalvin Cook, he just doesn't have that clean bill of health. And if I'm Dalvin Cook, I might be holding out because let's say he has a season-ending injury and he's playing on the last year of his deal. That could really cripple the 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 amount of his second contract there. So I, I think the likelihood of a Dalvin Cook holdout is is more likely than a Raheem Mostert trade, just because I don't see him getting traded. Now watch tomorrow. We're gonna get the <laughs> the Roto World alert or whatever, Schefter or whoever that <laughs> yeah. that the trade happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So last question, and then and then we'll get into. I forgot we were supposed to talk about running back rankings <laughs> <laughs> on this show. So Alexander Madison or because I, I didn't realize Alexander Madison was on the board. I, I definitely, I feel like I would rather have him also because I think he's a better player than Tevin Coleman. So would you yeah, rather have, and I, I just yeah, think it's a, it's, I, it's a better opportunity and there is a clear path for him. Even let, let's say Mostert's not there and Dalvin cook's not there. I feel much more confident rolling out Alexander Madison in that situation than I would Tevin Coleman. Yeah, and so I'm I'm right there with you. I didn't realize he was still on the board, or that would have been my thinking all along. So, Alexander Madison or Mike Williams here? I would, I would probably go Mike Williams, just because. So when we look at those those guys. Alexander Madison, while he does have that league-winning upside, I think Mike Williams, there's a better chance to hit that upside on a weekly basis, and he doesn't really need anything to happen. You know, he's not depending on somebody holding out or an injury, whereas Alexander Madison, that's what we're looking at. So I think Alexander Madison has the higher upside overall, but Mike Williams has a higher probability to produce on a weekly basis. So I, I would give Mike Williams the nod there. Okay, well, I thought you were going to say Alexander Madison, and so I selected it. <laughs> and because I was trying, I was trying to get ahead and be like, "Oh yeah, well, I knew where you're going, so I already selected it." <laughs> See, I, again, uh, I, I'm not going to knock that pick because yes, he could do absolutely nothing this season. But in this format, and for the satellite, do you only play against your division, or is it you get thrown against everybody then at the end? Um. I actually, that's a good question. I actually don't know. Because if you're up against, actually, I, I think it might be the same amount of teams. I think it might be the 1,440. So week 13, you guys hit the playoffs, and it's about half of everybody gets in. It, it takes upside like that to win. Is it mm-hmm. the most likely of outcomes? Probably not. But if Alexander Madison gets that opportunity, I, I, I think that's a great pick there in the 12th round. So now throughout the season, I'm going to be paying attention to them and think, all right, Derek took Alexander Madison here. Let's see if it pays <laughs> off. Yeah. And so I've got, I have, was it five running backs? Yeah, I have, I have five running backs now. And I think that allows me the freedom now for the rest of the draft to just kind of pound the other positions. Yeah. And that's what I would do. And then who do you have at tight end? I've got George Kittle and John U. Smith at tight end. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's plenty fine. Um, you know, so I, looking, I'm, I'm high on John U. Smith as well. Yeah, I, I mean he's gonna have an opportunity here to really shine. You know, looking at 
the thirteenth round. I don't is Preston Williams there? Uh, Golden Tate, yeah. Mecole Hardman. Yeah, Hardman um, and Williams are there. I think I think Golden Tate went a few picks before this uh, this pick I just made. Somebody that could be intriguing, maybe in the fourteenth round at, at running back, Antonio Gibson. You know, we just got the. Yeah. You know, while he is labeled as a running back. I think he's kind of going to have that Swiss Army knife role, kind of like a Lynn Bowden in in Vegas, and he's going to be utilized in the passing game. And if Darius Geis were to miss any time, maybe Antonio Gibson gets an uptick in usage there in the running game. But I think he's somebody that should be on your board, possibly in the fourteenth. Yeah, and and uh, Kelvin Harmon. For some reason, this went this went under the radar for me. Kelvin Harmon tore his ACL. Right, right, and I think that that could be. I know people were talking about Sims really stepping up, and you, obviously you have Terry McLaurin, but I think Antonio mm-hmm. Gibson he could be a sneaky option, especially yeah. with you know Ron Rivera. He likes to use tight ends, and they don't really have they have Jeremy Sprinkle and maybe Thaddeus Jeremy Moss Sprinkle. if he makes the team. <laughs> yeah, so I I think there are going to be opportunities here for these other players, and Antonio Gibson could be one of those guys with Kelvin Harmon, you know, being out for the season. Yeah, so. Um, one one more player that I'm really targeting, and it's I've, I've talked about this a couple times on the episode or on the show. Uh, Curtis Samuel is still there, and especially for a deep best ball league like this, I I personally am of the belief that if something were to happen to Christian McCaffrey and he goes down, I'm not projecting Curtis Samuel to step in as the running back, but I would project his I would project his workload to increase. Yeah. So I, I don't. So he's still on the board, and with it being a, a best ball league, you know, I'm really because you know who's the backup running back there? Reggie Reggie Bonifon, I think. Bonifon, yeah. We don't really, yeah, we don't know anything about him, really, and we know Curtis Samuel was, you know, that kind of hybrid player in college. And I was so just going to say. He, we just talked about Antonio Gibson and Lynn Bowden kind of being those Swiss Army Knife players. That's exactly what Curtis Samuel was. And I think, you know, you look at last year, and I looked at air yards a lot, and some of the guys that really popped off were their air yards and actual receiving yards. There was a pretty big discrepancy, so there was room for improvement. Kenny Galladay, Robbie Anderson, who actually landed in Carolina, and then Curtis Samuel was near the top of that list. But Curtis Samuel, he his background in college – he was used more, he was closer to the line of scrimmage. And I think with Robbie mm-hmm. Anderson there, people think they're going to be competing for those those deep targets. And I don't think that's the case. I do think Curtis Samuel is going to be used more, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. And he's going to be able to do some things after the catch, which he was more, you know, he was used to doing in college. So I I think that's, it's an interesting best ball pick. And at this point in the draft, I say just go upside every single pick. Yeah, and that that especially... Now my wide receiver group is pretty thin. I think that's just what I have to do is swing for the fences on every pick, every every wide receiver pick. And you know, I talked about Brandon Cook, what I said about Brandon Cooks on my bold predictions episode. Um one, you know, my in my favorite this is my favorite one. One of my bold predictions on that episode was that, you know, in the event of a Christian McCaffrey injury, Curtis Samuel would be on the highest percentage of championship rosters after that yeah that that wouldn't shock me and then even you know 
I think Jay Sternberger out there in Green Bay, I think he's mm-hmm. could possibly show up as the number two option in that passing game. Well, maybe three if, you know, depending on how involved Aaron Jones is in the passing game again. But Alan Lazard, I mean, he went in the 17th round in my draft, and that's the presumed wide receiver two in that offense. Again, mm-hmm. high upside, low floor. But again, I say pound upside in that format. Yeah, and that's that's basically that's kind of what I'm doing now is is I'm just swinging for the fences. I feel mm-hmm. like I got I feel like I got some safe quarterbacks, some some running backs that should at least see some volume. I got George Kittle, and so at wide receiver, yeah, I'm basically you know I went I went DK Metcalf over Lockett. Normally my plan was if I wanted one of those players. I would just select whoever went, you know, I would wait for one of them to come off the board and select the other one. But I was like, dude, I'm just going to swing for the fences on DK Metcalf. Maybe he'll just be the monster. We all think he can be and score a bunch of touchdowns. And then, yeah, it, and then also, you know, you, you take these upside players and then later you could take some of those safer options that give you a floor, you know, the really unsexy names, but maybe a Randall Cobb in Houston or a Cole Beasley in Buffalo, just guys mm-hmm. that can get you a few points here or there, just in case all these boom guys happen to bust in a given week. Yeah, and that, that's that's kind of where that's kind of where I like I like the Jamison Crowder, um, Sterling Shepard still on the board, um, Anthony Miller. You know, Anthony Miller. You know, a lot. I know a lot of people liked him coming into his rookie year. He scored seven touchdowns his rookie year, and I mean he's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity for maybe not a bunch of targets, but going this late in the draft, I mean, I think he's got an opportunity to be more heavily targeted than most other wide receivers at this point, anyways. So, so I don't, I don't mind chasing, chasing some uh, Anthony Miller upside either. No, not at all. I mean, in with the way that offense is, they're looking for playmakers, and he had a stretch where. He, you know, I think it was wide receiver two numbers over a certain amount of weeks last year. So where he's going, I think it's, I think he's a solid pick at his current value. Yeah, I, and I do, I do too. So this isn't a Scott Fishbowl podcast. This is a uh, a running back rankings podcast. I know it doesn't seem that way, but basically for the audience, I, I direct message John my top 24 running back rankings. And I told him to pick them apart and tell me why they are 100% accurate, essentially. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. So, yeah, I just basically asked, you know, that you look and see which ones stood out and, you know, maybe ask me my thought process or maybe see if you can change my mind a little bit as well. So, yeah, which, what's the, what's the first running back going from the list that really popped to you? Who really stood out where he was at? So looking at it, one, two, and three, McCaffrey, Barkley, and Zeke, I'm perfectly fine with, and I, I don't think that's going to surprise many people. In terms of current value and where they're going in startups, Dalvin Cook at four is fine, but if I could, so the shares that I do, I mentioned I have quite a few shares of Dalvin Cook. If I could move him at running back for value. I would, and I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody willing to give that in return. And I think that's one. It's it's part of the issue with the unknowns here in 2020. 
but it's also here in the off season with Dalvin cook being a veteran, everybody wants those new shiny toys. So you see the Jonathan Taylor's Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and then, you know, people aren't really willing to pay up for these running backs that that's my only issue. And I, you know, if there's an injury that, you know, we've seen, he hasn't finished the last, what, two seasons, three seasons. Yeah. And Dalvin cook is great player, high upside when he's healthy, but I, this would be a situation. If I had the choice of taking him running back four in a startup, I most likely, as much as I could, I would look to move back. You there? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you there? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I just I said to myself, basically what I did with this is I, I kind of envisioned myself on the clock, and that's how I rank these guys is, you know, who would I select before and after who? And, you know, we, we've still got – I guess we don't have that long until the season starts a few, I mean, what little over a month now, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Hope. Yeah. Fingers crossed. It's going to hard. It's going to be really hard to do a show about football without football. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, so would that be, so let's, let's say I had Alvin Kamara at four and Dalvin cook at five. Would that be closer to where you would have them? Or would you have some of those guys like Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs? Would you have, would you feel safer with some of those guys or would you be comfortable pulling the trigger on Dalvin cook at five? I don't think I have an issue so much with cook at four. Again, it's just, you start to get into some of these players and it, it's, it's so tough. So uh, we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit more with some of the, these other guys. So for overall Dalvin cook, I don't have a huge issue with it. I I'm just concerned with him, even, you know, maybe a two year outlook and, but, but again, you look at these guys, that's where he's going typically in startups. He's going right around that running back four. So in terms of sheer value, it's fine. Yeah. And so, yeah, and because I, I wouldn't take Alvin Kamara over Dalvin Cook. I wouldn't take Joe Mixon over Dalvin Cook. I, I love Nick Chubb. I wouldn't take him over Dalvin Cook because, again, all of these guys, especially running backs because of how volatile it is and especially with dynasty rankings, they're so fluid. They're constantly changing. And even though dynasty is such a long-term thing, you, you look even last season, like, like talking about some of the wide receivers at one point, people were talking about Cooper cup as a top five receiver because of what he, that stretch he put together. And then even mm-hmm. though he had solid end of year numbers, he's dropping back down because again, how volatile and, and fluid these things have to be. So today, I mean, it's more or less just me saying I am very hesitant to invest in Dalvin Cook at this point. But if I have him, I'm not moving him for less than running back for value. Yeah, and I completely agree. Yeah, and as far as, you know, with Dynasty being a long-term, you know, a long-term thing, but it's, you know, it changes a lot year over year. You know, let's rewind 
a year from right now, a lot of people were calling Odell Beckham Jr. the number one dynasty wide receiver because he had, you know, he finally had a quarterback better than Eli Manning and he was much younger than Eli Manning. And right. now I'm getting I'm getting roasted for having Odell Beckham Jr. as my wide receiver 12 in Dynasty, even though he still went and posted a thousand yard season. I know it wasn't sexy. It didn't feel like it, but. Uh, you know. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Odell, and it's kind of what we're seeing in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people right now and a lot of the the bigger names in the industry, they have DeAndre Hopkins as a sell. And I'm actually fairly low on him compared to consensus for 2020 but yeah odell beckham mm-hmm. when he went to cleveland everybody was so hyped and i saw odell beckham in startups because especially with startups during the off season it, it all depends on when you they happen and if there's a big piece of news like odell beckham or deandre hopkins getting traded their perceived value automatically spikes and that's what we saw with odell beckham mm-hmm. so i actually saw him go as wide receiver one the wide receiver one not a wide receiver one the wide receiver one yeah. In a few oh, startups at that it. point last year, yeah, and and that that that's kind of the thing. So to tell you how to put in perspective, you know how much these things can change year over year, is yeah. Some people had Odell as the number one dynasty wide receiver. He goes out and posts a one thousand yard season, and now he's a third round pick sometimes. <laughs> so right, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 really tough, and that's why. So having Dalvin Cook at four, I do tend to wait. I feel like I tend to wait the the present and the near future a lot more heavily than a lot of other dynasty people that I listen to and read. And so, I mean, for me, it was either Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara at four, and I really wasn't considering anybody else. Just right. because I think, yeah, th- I think their upside – for 2020 and possibly the next two or three years even is, is at least as high as some of those other guys, but we've, we've seen them do it before. Right now going down the list, you know, Alvin Kamara, I'm fine with him at five. I would swap Mixon and and Nick Chubb. I just, it's, it's funny to think of the Cleveland Browns being a more stable organization whenever there's been so much turnover (laughs) But we know even with Kareem Hunt being involved, I think Nick Chubb, I think it's overblown a little bit. And if you look at his usage in 2019 when Kareem Hunt came back, yes, he was less involved in the passing game. But the big issue was the the lack of touchdown upside there towards the end. And it's just because he wasn't, you know, he was getting goal line work. He just wasn't punching it into the end zone. So for me, I would take Nick Chubb over Joe Mixon. Because I and there is concern with I think a Joe Mixon holdout potentially, and yeah. while that that franchise I, I I would like to think they're going in the right direction. You have Zach Taylor, you at coach, you have Joe Burrow coming in at quarterback, and then you have some solid wide receiver options. I love Tyler Boyd, but that offensive line that's going to be an issue. And even though you have Jonah Williams coming back, he was injured in the preseason last year. There are a lot of question marks there, and for me. I would just prefer Nick Chubb over Mixon. And but with all that said, I do like Mixon a lot. So I actually I would just swap them. I wouldn't I wouldn't say knock Mixon down 15 spots, but just have yeah. Nick Chubb ahead of Mixon. And that's me personally. Yeah. And so if Kareem so that that was kind of a tough one because I'm actually lower than consensus, I think, on Chubb for the 2020 season. 
because of the presence of cream hunt because you know i i feel like we forget how good how talented kareem hunt is you know he's arguably as talented i think as nick chubb maybe not as a pure runner but you know as an overall running back you know i I put on twitter um a few days ago i said where would kareem hunt be being drafted in fantasy if nick chubb wasn't there and a lot of people were saying fourth overall and or i mean some people it was as high as fourth overall it was as low as early third so but mo- most of people were saying first round pick right and so well, i mean and that's what that's where he was in kansas city too so i wouldn't blame yeah. anybody if if nick chubb wasn't there and you mentioned it already but i'm on board with you in my one co-host over at dynasty theory mick Sorensen, we put together our 2020 projections and it's the pinned tweet on my twitter account so if anybody wants to go check that out but we have joe mixon right now and this is still just kind of our first draft of our rankings and projections because obviously things have changed since we spit them out but we have joe mixon at six and nick chubb at 12 strictly for the 2020 season yeah and i I mean i i don't hate it just because i feel like we shouldn't be you know I, i try someone tried drawing the parallel in my tweet someone tried drawing the parallels they said well where would tony pollard be being drafted if ezekiel elliott wasn't there and to me, that was kind of a false equivalency because, you know, we've seen Kareem Hunt. I believe he led the league in rushing one year. And so, yeah, yeah we, we've seen it from Kareem Hunt. I like I talked about comparing Pollard to Madison. Pollard is strictly upside and Kareem Hunt. He has upside, but he still has standalone value even as is. But yeah, we've seen it yeah. from Kareem Hunt. So I, uh, I, I don't like that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't either. But yeah, so I went I went with Mixon over Chubb and and I've got some backlash a little bit on my Nick Chubb ranking, having him as high as I do just because I've been lower on him than consensus for the 2020 season. And so I went with Mixon over Chubb because I'm assuming Kareem Hunt will be playing football elsewhere in 2021, but I kind of left open the possibility that maybe he resigns. And that that was enough just for me to say that Joe Mixon Joe Mixon has less touch competition. And I mean, to me, their upsides are similar. They're both super talented. And so I, I could draw I think I could draw a clear conclusion over the next two years of Joe Mixon getting more touches than Nick Chubb than vice versa. And so yeah, I mean, they're very close for me, but that's why I ended up going mixing over Chubb. Right. And like I said, I, you know, I, I brought that up, but it, I, I wouldn't kill you for, for taking mixing over Chubb. Um, and then you have Miles Sanders at eight, Jonathan Taylor at nine and Clyde Edwards, Alaire at 10. I, again, this is just kind of nitpicking. I wouldn't really argue one way or the other. Now I, for my rookie rankings, I have Jonathan Taylor over Edwards, Alaire. You know, I, I think that the Edwards, the Edwards Alaire situation, while yes, that is a fantastic landing spot, people don't want to admit that Damian Williams is going to be more involved than they think, but he is. And people bring it up with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, but it's going to happen in Kansas City and it's going to happen in Baltimore. And it's going to happen in a lot of these places. These rookies aren't going to come in and just take control day one. And I think people, mm-hmm. 
are baking that into Jonathan Taylor's situation, but not Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and they have to. So for me, I love Taylor over Edwards-Alaire, and I have them very closely valued. So you have them back-to-back. That makes a lot of sense to me. The only thing I might switch, Jonathan Taylor and Miles Sanders, but I think that's preference at that point. And I, again, I wouldn't argue with you for having Miles Sanders over Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I don't, I, I actually, I like Jonathan Taylor as a, as a prospect better than Miles Sanders. I, you know, I, if I was starting an NFL team, I think I would rather have Jonathan Taylor than Miles Sanders. And I wanted to move him up. You know, I've, I've been blowing the whistle for Jonathan Taylor all off season. Um, my first episode of the show, I talked about him alone for like, it seemed like 45 minutes. I basically had to stop myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So with uh, my thing with Jonathan Taylor is I've, I've had some people comment and ask me why I'm making Jonathan Taylor that high, just because, you know, Marlon Mack is there and Marlon Mack had a thousand yards last season. But, you know, I, I've been asking the question for the last week or so. Let's rewind a year from now. And, you know, Miles Sanders gets selected to the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, they've already traded for Jordan Howard. They traded a sixth-round pick for Jordan Howard. Everybody, everybody on Twitter, everybody on podcasts basically echoed the same thought process. It was, you know, Miles Sanders, even in, in redrafts, it was don't draft Miles Sanders. Wait right. until midseason and then trade for Miles Sanders because he'll take over. Or, you know, basically that was a thought process. We all, quote unquote, knew that Miles Sanders would take over around midseason. But, you know, who do you know? Who's the better running back prospect in a vacuum, Jonathan Taylor or Miles Sanders? Uh, for me, it's Jonathan Taylor, and it's yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't bat an eye there. Yeah, for me it is too, and. We can say that we like Marlon Mack as a prospect better than Jordan Howard, but Jordan Howard's been pretty awesome throughout as much as we don't like to admit it because it's been, you know, kind of the old school football. We've seen Chicago try to involve him in the passing game and it just not work. You know, uh, Jonathan or Jonathan Jordan Howard has been more productive up to this point than Marlon Mack. So if we like, Jonathan Taylor more than we like Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard has been better than Marlon Mack. I really, I, I don't, I don't see why we have to be so hesitant with Jonathan Taylor when there were, there was no, there was no hesitancy with Miles Sanders a year ago. See, I think there people were hesitant. And like you said, uh, you know, we, we look at Doug Peterson in that offense and typically it is a running back by committee and that was the expectation. That's what happened. And Miles Sanders didn't really take over until the Jordan Howard injury. But I think the thing that's separating them right now, and a lot of this might be more perceived value than what we're actually going to see, but everybody's knocking Jonathan Taylor's upside in the passing game. And I think my concern more is just Marlon Mack eating into his usage in terms of rushing attempts here in 2020 but marlon max in the last year of his deal does he take a somewhat team-friendly deal just to stick around and they have a nice one-two punch maybe but jonathan taylor for me he's gonna take over that backfield eventually 
whether or not it's as 2020 progresses or in 2021, but that's one of the best offensive lines in the game. And Mm -hmm. while Miles Sanders now, his only competition is really Boston Scott. And I think Miles Sanders is going to be used, not quite a workhorse role, but more so than what we've seen from Doug Peterson's offenses in the past. But Jonathan Taylor, I just think, I, I, again, I, I wouldn't argue with somebody taking Sanders over Taylor, but for Jonathan Taylor, I just think I, 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 I love the stability and not the Philadelphia is not stable as well, but Indianapolis, the way they've built their team. And yes, there are question marks. Is it Phillip rivers beyond 2020? I would guess not, but you know, that's a story that we'll see play out. But I just, I don't know for me, Jonathan Taylor, I just think he offers, we, like you said, we saw, a very average Marlon Mack look very good at times that offense. And I like Marlon Mack. I have him on, on a lot of yeah. teams still, but Jonathan Taylor, I just think he's a superior talent and that's really going to play out. But again, talking about strictly 2020, I have our uh, projections up here and we have Jonathan Taylor coming in as running back 24. And actually that's running back three in 2020 out of these rookies, Edwards, Alaire 21, Deandre Swift, 23, but after 2020, it's Jonathan Taylor that I would want without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And and so that was that was kind of my tiebreaker between Miles Sanders and Jonathan Taylor. Is you know, we we probably know that Carson Wentz is gonna be the quarterback for that team for quite some time. Right. And so it it, it seems a little more stable in Philadelphia for Miles Sanders than it does for Jonathan Taylor. And I kind of, you know, I left open the possibility that I'm wrong and Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor do split touches quite a bit. I mean, I mean, maybe not quite a bit, but more evenly than I want to think. So I, I left open the possibility of me being wrong on that. And I mean, I feel like that was fair because I've, I've been wrong. I was wrong once before. So it, it could only, happen a second time, I suppose. I was going to say only one time, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it could happen a second time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so so rolling through the rest of the rankings here, you have Josh Jacobs at 11. And again, this is kind of the Dalvin Cook situation. That's That's probably spot on for his value. But for dynasty purposes, I actually have him as a sell. But again, I would be looking to get somewhere around that running back 11 value. I think, again, there are injury concerns. He's been hurt dating back all the way to high school, his upside is going to be capped in that offense. Like I already mentioned, I don't think he sees the same amount of uh, targets in 2020 and the targets, there weren't that many to begin with for him. So I just think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think this is going to be a disappointing year for Josh Jacobs. If he can't find the ends and I think he's going to get plenty of work on the ground, but it's going to take those touchdowns to really, drive his value because we're not going to see the opportunity in the passing game. So if it's standard or even 0.5 PPR, we have Josh Jacobs a little bit higher here in 2020, but PPR, I think, I think now is the time to sell Josh Jacobs. If you're, if you're able to get the value, I'm not saying give him away, but again, I'm going to take him over Derek Henry, Todd Gurley, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, and those are the next guys on your list. So running back 11, I'm fine with it, but I would be looking to sell prior to the season kicking off. Yeah. And so, so that, that was part of, part of my thinking is the way, the way I ranked these players, it wasn't necessarily who I think is the best player. It was 
if I'm on the clock, who am I going to select? And right, right, absolutely. Yeah. And so perceived, I guess perceived value would be the right word. Perceived value is creeping into my mind the whole time, you know? So I feel like I could, you know, I could have put someone like, maybe someone like a Kenyon Drake, who, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to bat an eye if Kenyon Drake has a better 2020 than Josh Jacobs. Oh, he's going to. But, Spo- spoiler alert, he's yeah. going to. Oh, well, I, I love it because I own Kenyon Drake in a lot of dynasty leagues and I don't own Josh Jacobs anywhere. But but yeah, so for me, is if, if I really thought that, you know, if I'm on the clock and I like Kenyon Drake more, you know, it, I guess it's a little bit of game theory crept in my mind. I, to me, the right pick there, I guess, was Josh Jacobs. And then if I can flip him for Drake plus a, a third round pick rookie pick or something, maybe that, maybe that would be the right play. So uh, yeah, I guess, I guess perceived value was kind of creeping into my mind as I was doing these rankings. Right. And you know, it's the same thing as Dalvin cook in terms of their rankings themselves. That's not my issue. I just, if I could capitalize on that value, I would definitely be looking to do that. And then you have Derrick Henry at 12, no issue there. And then as I went through this, I I changed the size of the font for the running backs that I wanted to call out. And there's two running backs that I made their font larger because they're my big call outs. You have Todd Gurley at running back 13. And I (laughs) love Todd Gurley here in 2020. If he's healthy, I think he's going to have a fantastic season because we saw Devontae Freeman get 70 plus targets in less than 16 games in 2019. And Todd mm-hmm. Gurley, despite the knee issues, I, he's a be, he's better than Devontae Freeman. And I, I, you know, there was not a lot behind Todd Gurley, Ito Smith, Brian Hill. I don't think there's much. So if Todd Gurley's healthy on that one year deal, they're going to drive him into the ground. But for dynasty purposes, I don't know. Everybody was nobody wanted him when he was on the Rams. And now I actually think he's in a slightly better situation, but the one-year deal, the knees, we don't really know. Let's look two years from now. Where's he going? And I just think running back 13, that's a very dangerous spot to take him for me. Yeah. And I see, I see, I see your point of view for sure. But so for me with Gurley, you know, I I don't have the rankings pull up in front of me because every time I pull them up, it disconnects us. (laughs) But so I think I think I have Eckler and Aaron Jones right behind him, correct? You have yeah, Gurley, Eckler, Aaron Jones, and I would take both of those guys and I would take I, I don't I don't want to well, I'll take number 16 over him as well, but I won't say who it is yet. <laughs> okay. Uh so yeah, my thinking was well let let me just I'll spoil it and ask is not 16 was JK Dobbins, correct? It was, and I think, okay. and, and we'll get to him, but I'll, uh, out of everybody, you know, not just these rookies, but any of these young guys that really could see an increase in value, J.K. Dobbins, I don't like him in 2020 because I think Mark Ingram, I actually think Mark Ingram outscores J.K. Dobbins here in 2020 because I, I like mm-hmm. Mark Ingram a lot. I think he's a really good back, and he fits that offense very well, but so does J.K. Dobbins, that RPO-style offense. But J.K. Dobbins, I think... If we if we have a a call or we we record a show at this time going into 2022, 
I think we could be talking about him as a top three dynasty running back. I really do. Yeah, I, I don't hate it whatsoever. But yeah, so for me, when it came to ranking these players, is I looked at, you know, I looked at Austin Eckler, and you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of differences between what we saw from Austin Eckler. You know, and it's, there's a lot of differences in what surrounds Austin Eckler from 2019 to 2020. You know, we assume it's going to be Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. You know, but Justin Herbert might come in for a little bit, or I mean, at some point in the season. Um, Aaron Jones. You know, I mean, I think I don't think we know where Aaron Jones is going to be playing football in 2021 any more than we know where Todd Gurley is. Right, and I I understand yeah. that, but for me, let's just talk about Austin Eckler really quick. He has that four year contract. It's a really team friendly deal. I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. It wouldn't make a lot of sense, and. He's been fairly healthy. We, yeah, is he going to get the targets he saw in 2019? Probably not. I just think there's a much better chance that Todd Gurley, his value bottoms out because, I mean, heck, if you would have asked what his what his dynasty value was and his people had him ranked as midseason last year and kind of when he was going through some of the issues, I don't think he would have been in people's top 20. And I don't know if I'm going to take him out of my top 20, but 13, you're a much braver man than I am. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so that, that's partially, you know, that's partially me, you know, waiting more heavily the near future rather than the distant, like I said earlier, but also, you know, Todd Gurley, I, I believe will, will is still 25. I believe he'll turn 26 this upcoming season, which, you know, Austin Eckler is, I'm looking at his player profiler page is 25.2. So they're they're similar ages, and yeah, I mean to me, we, you know, we've seen Todd Gurley be the best running back in football, even though it wasn't super fun owning him last year. Uh, depending on your format, he was either a top twelve running back or he was pushing, you know, he was pushing RB one status, and that was, I believe, his, you know, I believe his situation increased pretty drastically just because. You know, I'm I'm not a Jared Goff person. I never really have been. Um, I actually have on Twitter, as you know, when, whenever Adam Schefter tweeted out the Rams signed the uh, Jared Goff to that big extension, I quote tweeted it and said, "Well, we're now we're we're, we're going to witness the demise of the Rams." And then, right. and then now you know they haven't made the play. They didn't make the playoffs, but so yeah, to me. And, and I don't have a problem if someone wants to put Eckler or Aaron Jones ahead of Todd Gurley. I don't have a problem with that. I know that I'm higher than consensus on Gurley. But to me, you know, he didn't he didn't miss any games last year. So to me, I was kind of leaving open the possibility that we're overblowing the knee issue a little bit. And I think I think his upside in 2020 is a lot higher than what a lot of people want to admit. And so with him only being 25 years old right now, I mean, I, I left open the possibility that he has a great season and is playing is playing with Atlanta for more than just the 2020 season. Yeah, that's I, I don't know if I, I love his upside here in 2020. And like I said, I think he has a tremendous opportunity, but I just it, 
it's not something I'd be willing to invest in at that price tag. So if I'm on the clock, you know, you said you you did these as if you were on the clock. I couldn't pull mm-hmm. the trigger on Todd Gurley at running back 13. That's just, you know, but it seems like you, yeah. you know, one word that one, my other co-host Dan Lamagna always uses on Dynasty Theory, conviction. And it seems like you have a heck of a lot of conviction here at Todd Gurley. <laughs> so I respect it. I just don't know if I can get on board. Yeah. And, and yeah, and for me, you know, also Atlanta didn't go draft a second round running back either. Like I'm a Green Bay Packers fan too. So when I say the stupid Green Bay Packers did, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So that that's, I, I was, I'm definitely factoring in, you know, AJ Dillon's present that presence there. And, you know, generally, so my rule for, you know, coach speak, you know, we all remember the soundbite that was going on with Matt LaFleur when he said, you know, he said in a press conference that they wanted to get a third running back in the mix. It was, it was the week of the combine. Yep. Yeah. And then they go and they spend a second round pick on a running back. So generally I know, I know the, you know, the common practice is to dismiss coach speak, but then whenever a, a coach says they want to do something and then they go out and do something, you know, in the direction of making that happen. That's where I tend to believe it. Believe it or not, I actually wanted to move Aaron Jones lower, but I was not prepared to deal with the backlash from fantasy Twitter. <laughs> no, so I, I, like, I mean, I could see a situation where, you know, realistically, like I said, I, I love JK Dobbins, Kenyon Drake, He's in the same situation as Aaron Jones, but a better opportunity, I think, here in 2020. And then if you wanted to move DeAndre Swift above him, too. So I could see a realistic situation where somebody could have Aaron Jones as their running back 18. Now, Aaron Jones, and I'm going to skip to your running back 17, Kenyon Drake, if they were to get a contract extension, I think we could see a spike in their dynasty value. Yeah, they they would move up, especially like Kenyon Drake would move up for me for he would move past Aaron Jones for me because I'm not sure that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback yeah. for Green Bay in 2021. Yeah. If we see a contract, let's say we see a three-year extension for Kenyon Drake. I actually would, I'd be okay putting him in my top 12 or 11, probably in dynasty rankings. Yeah. For, yeah. For me, he would, he would shoot up above Todd Gurley for me because you know, it's, it's, it's more state, you know, that, that provides, you know, a more stable situation. You know, we know where he's going to be playing football for the next couple of years. And we know that he's going to have the same quarterback, you know, f- for the duration of that time too. Right. And so that, that was, you know, that factored in with my Aaron Jones ranking as well is even if he does sign with green Bay, is Jordan love the quarterback for the green Bay Packers in 2021, or is it still Aaron Rodgers? You know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So yeah, the only me, thing with I just don't know about that dead cap situation because it is pretty lofty. But we've seen teams get around their cap situation by doing some some things yeah. uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even you know, even this off season when the when the off season started, everybody was saying, "Well, the Cardinals can't move on from David Johnson because it, of the dead exactly. cap money." Yeah, and, and the Rams can't about move Bob on. Gurley. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I was going right there. The Rams can't move on from Todd Gurley because, and they both did. So, so, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I, I don't, I don't want to say never, but 
I don't see myself in the foreseeable future touting the Green Bay Packers as a franchise that knows what the heck they're doing, honestly. <laughs> if this 2020 and, draft showed us anything, I think it's quite the opposite. Yeah, they they have yeah. not really – it seems like there's kind of a conflict there between LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, and we saw mm-hmm. that. You know, They didn't really bring him any weapons there in the draft, so it's going to be interesting to see, and I would not want to be – I mean, I'm in Pittsburgh, so – you know, we had a quarterback named Duck leading the charge yeah. for us last year. So I can't really talk, but I, I don't envy you as a Green Bay Packer fan, you know, moving beyond 2021, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, and let's not forget Aaron Rodgers fell into Green Bay's lap. Green Bay was never, they never selected Aaron Rodgers because they knew something that nobody else did. You know, he was projected to go as maybe the number one overall pick. And he fell to them in the twenties, and so they pulled the trigger. And then they've succeeded ever since then, in spite of themselves, pretty much. And it doesn't help either that I'm kind of a self-loathing sports fan. I'm a I'm a pessimistic sports fan. Like I think I, most I fans are, though. I think most yeah. are. Yeah, I, I live in Oklahoma, and so I'm you know in in the NBA, I'm a big Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And I don't know if you watch the NBA or not, or keep up. Well, with the NBA and then and then you saw Oklahoma completely disband what could have been a, you know, incredible team. You know, you look yeah, at- yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then so so in you know or what was it two I think two seasons ago or maybe it was last off season, you know, Paul George was a free agent, and there was zero doubt in my mind that Paul George was going to sign with a different team. Like I, I actually was betting money and betting, making lunch bets with my friends that Paul, like Paul George signing with Oklahoma, re-signing with Oklahoma city costed me a lot of money. Right. Right. <laughs> because I was just like, no, there's no way players don't want to stay here. I love it here. I think it's awesome. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm not a multimillionaire NBA player either. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so, so looking at your list, there's only one other guy in this top 24 that really, I, I raised my eyebrow at. So, you know, like I said, 17, you have Kenyon Drake, 18, DeAndre Swift, 19, Melvin Gordon, 20, Leonard Fournette, 21, Kareem Hunt. I, you know, I could see a case for all of those. 22, mm-hmm. Cam Akers, I can't see a case for. So it's not even like Todd Gurley, I said I couldn't get on board with. Cam Akers, like, I, I want nothing to do with him at running back 20. And I'm in, I'm in quite a few dynasty leagues. I don't have him yeah. anywhere. All right, you say the word, and I will blast Cam Akers off of my radar altogether. Because I, you know, <laughs> I, I I think when he was in college, you know, at Florida State, he kind of that the his the people that came to his defense. Well, the offensive line wasn't great, and he still was somewhat productive. You know, and and you look at all these different metrics, and that's the thing that people wanted to point to. That was what the apologists were saying, and I think. It, when we look at wide receivers, Jalen Rager was kind of that guy with his 2019 production because you look at what's going on around him and people were apologizing for him. But now, like Cam Akers, he goes to the Rams. It's not a great situation. I know people want to look at it like it is, but like you said, you didn't love when Todd Gurley was in Los Angeles. Why are we loving Mm -hmm. Cam Akers? That line is not great. That defense is getting worse, in my opinion, and I think they're going to have to throw the ball a lot and we don't know that Cam Akers, one, that he's going to get a majority of the timeshare there in the backfield. But you have Henderson and Brown that I think are really still going to be involved. 
And those three running backs, they're just going to eat at each other. And I would not feel confident in Cam Akers, you know, in 2020, 2021, you know, looking at some of these guys, I actually, I would take, he's not on your list. I would take David Montgomery over Cam Akers without a doubt. Yeah. And so, so this was, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say the masses influencing my, my uh, decision on this, but it was, you know, another thing where I'm on the clock and I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm lower than consensus on Cam Akers. So like in, in rookie draft rankings, I have Cam Akers behind a group of wide receivers. I feel like most people I see have him right after kind of the top end running backs. Whereas I've got CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager ahead of Cam Akers. I would take all of it. And I'm not even a Jerry Judy guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not in yeah, love with the Denver yeah. situation. I, I think, I think Judy is actually my my rookie wide receiver three. I, I have Justin Jefferson ahead of him as well. Yeah, Cam Akers. I actually he was my running back three slash four. I you know depending on the day, him and Dobbins, I wavered back and forth. But I was one of those people that apologized for him, and I said, "Hey, he's going to yep. land in a better oh, I situation." I actually I was I thought Cam Akers had a chance to land in Pittsburgh, and I thought he had a chance to land in Atlanta. And then obviously making the move for Todd Gurley um, kind of made that a a pipe dream. But yeah, Cam Akers, you know, it's not a form of take lock because I actually liked him and I was getting in debates and arguments with people. Yeah, his offensive line was crappy there in Florida State. So I think, you know, he can really have an opportunity with behind a good offensive line. Well, now he's in Los Angeles and I just I, I can't get on board with him. And there's a lot of people. I mean, I, I have Keyshawn Vaughn over Cam Akers for dynasty purposes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I actually, I actually in my in my rookie drafts, I think I have Keyshawn Vaughn as my 109, and Cam Akers at my 110. I've been wavering on that a little bit because whenever I, so I did my rookie rank shortly after the NFL draft, and I was all aboard the Keyshawn Vaughn train. I'm still there, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, the, so, I'm the conductor. <laughs> so I, I've cooled a little bit, but so whenever I pulled, whenever I was ranking these running backs, you know, I pulled, I just, you know, I Googled, I Googled, you know, uh, running back, you know, fantasy running backs, just cause I wanted the list of names in front of my face. So I wouldn't forget anybody. And so the fantasy pros consensus ranking for dynasty on cam Akers is running back 17. I saw that earlier today and I, I mean, I, I write for Fantasy Pros, so I might have to talk to a few of the guys. And actually, <laughs> um, on Thursday during lunch, we're going to have a live show with Mike Tagliere, and I, I might okay. have to put him on blast. I might have to say, Mike, <laughs> how involved are you with putting Cam Akers at running back 17? Because we got to talk about that, Mike. Okay. You want to know what – did you see what his best ranking on Fantasy Pros was? Um, I would, is it like running back 11, 12? It's, yeah, 11, right on the money. Right, Yeah. And, and so, so for me, like, I don't want to say that that drove my decision because I obviously, what'd you say? I had him at 22, 22. Yep. Okay. So I had him five spots below the consensus ranking on fantasy pros, but for me, you know, that was me saying that while I'm not high on cam makers, I know a lot of other people are. 
So if I'm on the clock, you, you know, if I'm on the clock, you know, maybe, may, you know, <clears throat> I'll select Cam Akers and yeah, see if maybe I can trade him for a David Montgomery plus or something like that. And if I can't, well, then hopefully I'm wrong about Cam Akers and he's a good football player. But yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think we all play that perceived value <laughs> game. I know I do. And sometimes you get stuck with a player and, yeah. you know, you made that you took that calculated risk and it didn't really pay off. But for me, yeah, there's just too many red flags. But, you know, to close up your list, you have Le'Veon Bell at 23, Darius Geis at 24. I no huge issue there. I could see a case for both of those guys you know, being fine just there, but yeah. So Cam Akers and Todd Gurley, they were the two really big ones for uh, in a negative light. JK Dobbins. I I think he should be a little bit higher. Um, Dalvin cook, Josh Jacobs. I'm fine with you having them at four and 11, but I, I'd be looking to sell them and then Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon just swap them. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think there was anything crazy. It always drives me nuts whenever people go out there and bash other people's, uh, rankings or projections, because as long as you have a, a solid uh, plan there and, and you actually can formulate how you went about that, I, I don't think you should be bashing anybody for, you know, putting the time in to put their rankings out there. And whenever you message me, you're like, I need somebody to rip these apart. And I was like, I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to rip them apart, but you know, I'll be honest with you for some of the guys, but yeah, overall, Derek, I, I, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, and so I, I figured out what the trick is too when you're posting when you're posting your rankings, you know, in a public forum for other people to see. And I, I figured it out on accident, but I'll, I'm gonna lay I'm gonna lay a secret on you. <laughs> so whenever every time I've posted rankings on Twitter, I've posted 100. I, I did it at first just as a joke, but I posted 100% accurate dynasty running back rankings. Right, right. And I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had somebody come at <clears throat> come after me. The the first comment I got, I posted my uh my running back rankings and my my top twelve. And somebody with Aaron Jones a picture of Aaron Jones as their profile picture said, Um, you forgot Aaron Jones, you know, the guy who's outscored Dalvin Cook every year of their careers. Right. And I had I had a whole response typed out, like, you know basically you know taking up the the full allotment of characters twitter allows me and then i was just like you know what no i'm not going to get into a serious argument with about running back rankings with this random dude with aaron jones as a profile picture so i deleted it all and i was just like did you even see how accurate these rankings are so I can just, right, right, so I right. can, yeah. So I can just, no matter if someone tries to argue with me and they're, you know, and I just don't feel like it, I can just refer them to the 100% accuracy that yeah, I, it's uh, just, and, and previously I would say, you know, during the last off season, so 2019, I would have been the person that anytime somebody commented something even remotely negative or criticizing a take i had i was the person that was always clapping back and yeah oh it was that, stressful and i, I talked yeah, about it you that's know, so me it, it it got so stressful because there were debates and arguments i had that would take up my entire day and that's not a joke and then <laughs> yeah, no, i would I sit there like the next day and i'm like oh i thought of something else to say <laughs> and now at this point i kind of laid laid off of that 
And now yeah. I will engage anybody that has a positive comment. If you have a negative comment, I'm I'm not going to respond. Or I, I, yeah. I, you know, like it and that's it. But it's not worth the the time or the energy because it can be exhausting. And I would say, oh, I would say this one really is on every show I'm on. I say, I would say like 95% of the fantasy community, it's good apples, but those 5%, they can make you absolutely hate it. <laughs> and I just try to block them out. I really do. Yeah. And so, so I've been the most recent, like where, where I've literally like rubbed my eyes and been exhausted was I've been, I've been pretty high on Brandon. Ayuk. um, since the NFL draft, since he got selected, you know, I was, I wasn't low one IU before the draft. Um, I think I had him as my wide receiver six or seven. And then after the draft moved him to my wide receiver five for rookies. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big jump, but, um, and I've ref- I referenced this maybe with both, uh, James Catullus and Jake Trobert, one of them for sure. But so I went back, and I went from 2020, I wrote down every wide receiver that was drafted and which round they were drafted in. And I wanted to see how many wide or 1,000 uh, yard seasons were posted. And so 40, 48% of round one wide receivers since the year 2000 have posted at least one 1,000 yard season. And that drops off to like 26% to round two, for round two guys. And, right, right. Yeah, and I think I so, one of those guys where there's definitely a market inefficiency between draft capital in the actual NFL and what we've been seeing mm-hmm. in rookie drafts and startups. So that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and so for me, he was so close with he was so close in that he was in that tier for me with Denzel Mims and Michael Pittman and T Higgins. That that first round draft capital, it was just enough for me to use as a tiebreaker. And yeah, I've gotten into, and I I don't want to say arguments because they were actually, so they were debates and they they were informed debates. Like they were civil enough where after we were done, like I ended up following the person that I was debating with and they followed me back on Twitter just because, you know, it wasn't, you know, there's, there's always going to be the guy that, you know, (laughs) I brought this up with uh, Jake Trowbridge I I saw Scott Barrett put out a tweet that said or it was it basically listed six out of eight weeks last year in PPR formats, Kareem Hunt outscored Nick Chubb. Right. In twenty nine in twenty nineteen. And I saw somebody on Twitter call Kareem Hunt the most expensive handcuff in fantasy football. And so this was a little bit of a troll job, but I was, I was just like, you know, he outscored Chubb 75% of the time last year. And this dude comes at me and says, no, he didn't. Like he was calling me an idiot, calling me clueless. And then post, posted screen. Yeah. Posted screenshots of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt's game logs side by side. And I was like, dude, look at the game. Like they're right there on the pictures <laughs> you sent me. Kareem Hunt outscored him six out of eight weeks. That's 75% of the time. Yeah, he, he kept telling me I needed to check my math, and then he ended up he ended up blocking me, and so well, that that's that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But, so it, it's funny, like, yeah, there's there's one of those guys that pops up every now and then, but yeah, a majority of the time, like I love, I love getting in, 
I don't, I don't want to say love because, you know, whenever every time I talk about Brandon Ayuk, I end up rubbing my eyes and feeling exhausted. But it, there's usually some good information. Like I've I've quote tweeted, you know, those the threads where I'm pro Ayuk, and somebody that I'm debating with is anti Ayuk, just because there's a lot of informative information. I think both ways. Right. Agreed. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's all I want really. Like, you know, I'll debate with somebody on Twitter, but I, I at least want it to be, you know, information driven. And that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only thing I have is I want it to be information driven. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, John, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you got anything else you want to add? No, I, Derek, this was an absolute blast. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, like I said, to start off the show, you can find me on Twitter at the Bauer club and then find our show dynasty theory at dynasty theory FF on Twitter and Instagram. We have the YouTube channel. Uh, we have our projections. They're pinned to my Twitter account. And then I also write for fantasy pros. I have a few articles come out every month and you know, my next article, it's about, you know, looking at the end of 2019 and how as dynasty owners, especially even at this point in the year, we still have that recency bias. So kind of digging down and looking at the guys that their 2019 end of 2019 numbers and trend, it's going to continue or we should expect something to change here in 2020 and beyond. But yeah, so that's going to be coming out here shortly. Keep an eye out for that. But again, Derek, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. And that pretty much answers my question. <laughs> I, I usually ask, if there's anything you want to plug or promote uh, before we get off. So yeah, everybody take note, go follow him on Twitter at the Bauer club and John, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Derek. All right. See you. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, this has been the Dynasty Underground. I've been your host, Derek Walmack, and thanks for listening.